Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Spending some time reconnecting with nature this summer? Here's a camping hack from L.L. Bean to make your next trip the best yet. Tired of your tentmate's flashlights shining in your eyes in camp? Bring an empty half-gallon milk jug or clear water bottle. Simply strap a headlamp around it, and it becomes a soft white lantern for everyone to see the light. For more camping hacks, visit youtube.com slash L.L. Bean. L.L. Bean. Be an outsider. Write that. Write that down, Fumi Saito. Oh, there I am. Hello from Burbank, California, where the weather is very nice this week. I don't know why I said that. I'm just trying to spice it up, you know. Thank you for joining us once again. Write that down on the Fight Game Media Network. My name is Justin Nipper. I edit FightGameMedia.com. I'm a staff writer at WrestlingObserver.com. And I also work for Pro Wrestling No One Cyberfight Incorporated. And I'd love to say that I'm back with Fumi Saito, but unfortunately, Mr. Fumi Saito had an unfortunate dental emergency. And he is getting that fixed. Sorry for that uh, buzzing motor on the road. So, unfortunately, last minute, we had to cancel. Fumi's doing fine. And we're going to record very soon. We have a really good episode coming up for you next week. But in the meantime, this week, we are going back to the archives. Uh, last year, Fumi and I talked about the history of a Lucha Libre pro wrestling in Japan. Lucha Libre style pro wrestling from Mexico in Japan. From wrestlers from Japan traveling to Mexico to wrestle and learn the style and become stars to... UWA and later Michinoku Pro and and so on and the development of Lucha Libre and its infusion into pro wrestling especially when we're talking late 90s early 2000s Torimon Ultimo Dragons Dojo and his his young guys changing the game Michinoku Pro guys changing the game lots and lots of interesting little details in today's classic episode. So, next week we'll be back, Fumi and I, but this week enjoy our classic episode. If you have not already, please subscribe to the Fight Game Media Network podcast feed. Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, wherever you are usually listening to your podcasts, it helps us very much. Please subscribe. Like I said, next week we'll have a new episode. Get ready for that. I'm excited for that one. But for now, let's talk about Lucha Libre in Japan. Okay, hi everyone. Welcome. This is Write That Down. I'm here with Fumi Saito. Fumi, how are you? How are you? Hello from Tokyo. 
So today's topic is a very interesting one, and a couple of our listeners have been requesting uh, kind of related topics because it's sort of a, a vague but important part yeah. of Japanese pro wrestling right now. It's Lucha Libre. Influence. Influence yeah. and its connection with Japanese pro wrestling. Right, right. Uh, yeah, the connection between you know, Japanese wrestling um, industry and Mexican wrestling goes all the way back to like 1930s. <laughs> well, Lucha Libre started like in 1930 with, you know, Gus Carrillo. And uh, 1930s, and uh, early 1950s, the, the, the Masahiko Kimura toured Mexico. And That's right. People know Masahiko Kimura, like a, one of the pioneers of Japanese wrestling and also a pioneer of MMA historically now. And now you can hear this double wrist, you know, arm lock move. You call it Kimura, right? Mm. That Kimura. He toured as a Japanese wrestler, I mean, judoka though, judo, but he worked as wrestler too. And he went to Mexico and had the tour. Very interesting. So there's a cultural exchange almost. Mm-hmm. And there's 19, before that, 1930s, there was Mari Matsuda uh, toured. On, in the you know, early 60s, later on, he became Hiro Matsuda. Hiro Matsuda toured uh, Mexico, too. And, uh, yeah, Mexico has been a pretty good platform for young Japanese wrestlers to have their time. Yeah. So... When do you think that it became more of a regular platform? regular thing? Oh, yeah. okay. Who, who well, are like, some wrestlers that you remember from? I, I, I would. Uh, I'm just gonna guess. I would have to be around the middle '70s, late '70s, early '80s. When Grand Hamada traveled to mm. uh, from New Japan to yeah to Mexico, and then Hamada was told to stay in Mexico. You live there, and probably you know he was told that you would probably wouldn't be making it. In, in in New Japan and making it meaning like he's what five feet three maybe <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah if for and, re- listeners out there who aren't familiar with Grand Hamada he was uh, an older well he started out in the that around that time late 70s early 80s but with New Japan is that right he started he debuted 1972 72 yeah that the mm-hmm. very first group of um that the uh, very first rookie group when Anthony Noki opened New Japan Pro Wrestling in 1972. Original you know, Young like, Lions. Yeah, original Young Lions, yeah. What's so funny is, is the Grand Hamada and Mr. Pogo came in together as friends. Imagine Mr. Pogo. That. Very different <laughs> yeah, wrestlers. Yeah, one became a Mr. Lucha, you know, a Japanese Lucha Libre and one later on became a deathmatch guy, king, right? Totally different styles, sizes, mm-hmm. everything. They, yeah, but the Mr. Pogo Sekigawa and Grand Hamada, Hiroaki Hamada then, well, they were judo friends. I see. Yeah. And also went into sumo, uh, the, the, went into sumo, but they kind of escaped from that too, you know, and wanted to be wrestler. Mm. And both apparently kind of, you see, Mr. Pogo kind of quit New Japan Dojo and went to America and debuted on his own. Mm. Yeah. So there have been a group of wrestlers who really didn't really debut from the established company and went to foreign country and then debuted. Yeah. And later on, the same method, Ultimo Dragon, you know, Yoshihiro Asai did that, right? That's right. Yeah. So Mexico has been a place or like a land of you know, opportunity too, you know, that uh, still in Japan, 
uh, the main superstar still will be your heavyweight guy, huh? Like you said, Misawa or Keiji Muto, the Chono Hashimoto, the even Liger is heavyweight, huh? Yeah, you know? I, I think that's the expectation. Yeah. When Satoru Sayama, before he became Tiger Mask, you know, he was sent to Mexico as a like a second year rookie, a sensational rookie, and went in there like in 1978, probably. But 1977, Fujinami toured uh, Mexico as Dragon Fujinami before he was WWE Junior Heavyweight Champion in 1978. Mm-hmm. And he was there. And uh, young Fujinami, like a light heavyweight wrestler. A lot of wrestlers went there, not just not just you know a couple matches, but they spent years there. Oh, can I come before America? Yeah, yeah. His his name was Timujin Mongol. Yeah, Kilakan spent one year in Mexico before he hit, you know, become Kilakan. And uh, yeah, so many, so many. Um, Satoru Sayama before original Tiger Mask, right? Then there was you, you have Kuniaki Kobayashi uh, toward and stayed in Mexico for a couple of years before he came back to Japan to become Tiger Mask's, original Tiger Mask's biggest rival. Around the same time, you had Joji Takano before he was Cobra. You had Junji Hirata before he, he became Super Strong Machine. Um, Hiro Saito toured, Norio Honaga toured, all these guys toured. Oh, even Misawa and Koshinaka from all Japan, they toured Mexico too. Yeah. So did the, the All Japan guys go through All Japan or did they go on their own? Oh, All Japan. Okay. It was interesting during uh, like late 70s into early 80s, there's a two major group in Mexico. One is UWA and one is EMLL. Uh, now it's CMLL, right? Mm-hmm. That uh, There's two major companies. And Inoki's New Japan people always sent their wrestlers to UWA, Francisco Flores. And the other one, NWF affiliate, Jan Baba and All Japan sent their boys to NWA affiliates. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so there was always two groups. Kind of political, but uh, yeah. Now that I don't even know how many groups are there in Mexico. So many. But uh, yeah. And after that, yes, a lot of wrestlers, you know, even the ones who didn't debut in Japan, a lot of the, the, the young guys who wanted to become professional wrestlers, they... Yeah, um, they just went to Mexico on their own and they went to Lucha Libre school and became, yeah, um, luchador there. And Asai, before he was Ultimate Dragon, he was trained on the New Japan Dojo in Tokyo, but he was told that the, I, they, don't, they didn't think they were going to be able to debut him because he was so short or something, you know. How talented. It's, it's like, it was wrong, you know, because... You can see how talented he is, and who you know the kind of kind of superstar that he became later on. You know, but but uh, right, he was you know it wasn't going to you know debut in Japan. So Asai decided I'm going to Mexico on my own, and he made it. Yeah, it was 1987, I believe. Yeah. And after yeah, after Asai opened the door for a lot of guys, and I think we should make it clear that there was a bit of a difference between some of the wrestlers that went to Mexico on their own and some of the wrestlers that went and were sent through their company, like uh, right. being like Jusha Liger being yeah, sent so yeah. through New well, Japan. Well, actually, initially, uh, that's trivia, but the cage 
Hiroshi Yamada, before he became wrestler with New Japan, right out of high school, he saved up money and went to Mexico on his own. Yeah. So that's a forgotten part of history. Then so, he came back and then joined New Japan. So uh, Mexico was a place for wrestlers to go if they thought they just wouldn't be able to even show what they got. On, but you have to have this de- desire and the actual talent and willingness to have this adventure. You know, it's not English speaking con- you know, country and you're going to Mexico on your own. And I don't know how much money you had in your pocket. Uh, just like the story Hayabusa used to tell me, you know, he had hundred dollars in his pocket. But he's already there. So it's just, uh, they're going to be there, you know, and Hayabusa was sent to Mexico by FMW and Onita, but the company didn't do much for him. Once he got there, he, you're on your own, you know? And uh, I, I think he, he uh, worked out at the Mex- one of the Mexican wrestling, wrestling school, and he trained with young uh, Rey Mysterio. No mask. I mean, when, yeah, oh, Mysterio wow. was, yeah, it was like a teenager. <laughs> teenager, yeah. Teenager, yeah. Yeah. So it's like there's a connection there. So many of them. So many of them. Now that the, the, the thing you th- just told me about, uh, you, you just mentioned that the Japanese wrestlers being sent uh, right. to Mexico by the, by the company. Like wrestlers sent to Mexico by New Japan, like you say, uh, Shinsuke Nakamura or Young Tanahashi or Yujiro Takahashi or Naito, all those guys went to Mexico and spent one year. But mm-hmm. they were sent by company. So kind of treated differently then, you know, yes. and, uh, and CMLL. And some of the Japanese wrestlers who went to Mexico and choose to work AAA instead or just take all the independent dates by living in Mexico. Yeah. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away, specifically the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. What's up? It's Kaylee Cuoco. When it comes to travel, we all have a happy place. I just went to my happy place. I just went to Maui, and it was truly amazing. Priceline has always been about getting you to your happy place for a happy price with deals you really can't find anywhere else, like up to 60% off select hotels in Costa Rica or five-star hotels for two-star prices in Cabo. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Partnership with CMLL, so it's structured a little bit different, more modern, more modern, I think. That's right. But, uh, yeah, through those seventies and eighties into nineties, you can see this, you know, adventurous, you know, like just like you said, Jado Gedo, they went to Mexico on their own, then spent a year. Yeah. Oh, great Sasuke became great Sasuke uh, from in, you know in Mexico. So so did Super Dolphin too. A lot of them, yeah. So you have to leave home. You went to Mexico, then you you know become somebody, and you develop the character, and uh, yeah, you come home as somebody. 
then Mexico was the place. Oh, there are so many then, if you think about it. Not just the established big company, but the even smaller guys or the independent guys or the, the, the yeah. How about for the female wrestlers from Japan? Because they also oh, had a lot of so opportunities many, oh, too. Yeah, from all the way to like 1960s. Because you could clearly see the Lucha Libre influence in uh, old-fashioned, all-Japan women's wrestling from like late 60s into early 70s. Because they were introduced and was trained by Lucha, luchadors and working right-hand side too. That's right. You know? Yeah. And also the, the the idea of you know big crossbody off the top rope, stuff like that, and Mexican style jabe they call it you know like a ground you know now they call it like a chain wrestling yeah. but uh, crazy submissions you know, they really yeah yeah crazy looking submissions that's original special yeah yeah but it, you take that you know essence and make it into something new too see now for instance everybody does tope now huh. Everybody, every match. Everybody does tope. In 1978, it was Fujinami who introduced tope in Japan for the very first time. And he did it. His was really unique because he really, he, there was no hesitation, no pause. It was like, wow, this. Yeah, jump into swimming pool. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I remember from yeah. the matches with like a Dynamite Kid or, or Tiger Mask. Uh, oh, Chavo Guerrero match sure. that the, he gashed and he got really, he got bloody. Yeah, Chavo yeah. Guerrero, another another luchador from uh, from the states, yeah. but I mean, and also like he's more of Tex Mex, right, you know? right, right. Um, but yeah, but luchadora, female wrestlers being able to, and, and also I would say I would argue even the '90s uh, generation of all Japan, the Manami Toyotas and such that were. Extremely oh yeah, oh, yeah. They wrote by... the Manami Toyota. Oh, even Debbie Malenko. You know, all those wrestlers went to Mexico. They took turn and went to Mexico. Uh, Akira Hokuto, mm -hmm. the Mimashimoda, the uh, Etsuko Mita, yeah. Mita. Yeah, all of them took turn and went to Mexico and kind of came back with new one more new move or something mm -hmm. or a new gimmick or something. Think about it. Just a couple of years ago. Hana Kimura had, you know, some four months, five months yeah. Mexico tour. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Kyoko Kimura she came, did too, didn't she? She went yeah, to she, uh, well, Mexico yeah. early. She went to Lucha school after she quit uh, FMW initially. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Teenage Kyoko Kimura. Yeah. It, isn't it right? She met with uh, Hayabusa in Mexico. Hayabusa and yeah. Yeah. And Onita Jr. and all that. Yeah. Of course. So it's been a it's been a connection. It's been an important part of Japanese pro wrestling, both male and female wrestling for for a long time, for a lot of years. Because right. it gives them and so many also, chances. Also, span like a, the language Spanish wasn't so far away. A lot of Japanese wrestlers, a lot of them, a lot of Japanese wrestlers understand and speak Spanish because of it. The uh, the accent many, is kind yeah. of, uh, or the pronunciation, excuse me. Right, the me. vowel sound, yeah. Similar. Uh, a -E -O -U's. Yeah, mm -hmm. right. The, the Spanish words are easy to pronounce for Japanese people. Yeah, I get that too, yeah. So it's very interesting. Oh, before I forget, when Tatsumi Fujinami introduced Tope in Japan and back in 1978, it was called Dragon Rocket. <laughs> Dragon Rocket? Wow, I've never heard yeah, that. Yeah, instead of Tope, yeah. Dragon Rocket, yeah. But because it was so new, it was new, and it it felt that way for a long time up until more recently with YouTube and the proliferation of so much, so much more yeah. wrestling. But... And it's almost anthropology thing. Hmm. That but the Bret Hart of all people, 
Bret Hart adopted Tope in Japan and brought that back to Calgary. Ah, and you know what? His sort of looks like Fujinami's. He just dives through the ropes too. Yeah, yeah. Reckless. What's the most important? Oh, yeah, the very famous uh, Bret Hart against Davy Boy match or Bret Hart against Shawn Michaels match. He occasionally had Tope in WWE matches too. Mm -hmm. Remember? Mm Mm-hmm. The big yeah, matches. so it was like a, from Mexico to Japan, Japan to Canada, Canada to WWE ring. Wow, like you know, an artifact. Like, yeah, yeah, but it's, it's like wow, you appreciate this, you know, that the origin of this, like a culture. Absolutely, it's yeah. what it is. It is a culture yeah. of, uh, of of something. I think we're still figuring it out, though. It's yeah, it's a wrestling. Well, it's kind of like a cooking too, you know, sure. a taste. Yeah. Yeah, so if you knew about it, we appreciate this a lot more. Okay. Well, let's go back to the the, the connection. Yeah. So, yes, a lot of women wrestlers had tours and early connection from Japanese wrestling to Mexican wrestling because a lot of the women's wrestlers in Japan were trained by Mexican style. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right from the beginning. So who would you say was maybe one of the early breakout stars that came from Japan who became a star in Japan first before they became popular back home in japan they became uh, popular in mexico Ooh, see like people like a grand hamada or young satoru sayama you know or even like a young kengo kimura or somebody that they were not famous in japan but they made it mm-hmm. the main event status in mexico within a year or two then they occasionally came back like a grand hamada or people like satoru sayama from mexico he, he, the Sayama went to Tampa, Florida and spent time, you know, and then stayed with Carl Gotch to do that one, that, you know, that kind of style. Then he was sent to England by Carl. And then, and then he became uh, the Sammy Lee, mm-hmm. like a Bruce Lee type of guy. Then he was called back to become Tiger Mask. So he had Japanese style, Mexican style, and Carl Gotch training, then went to British wrestling. Then he had a just global style, I guess. Yeah. I'm sure we'll have Very to do a show on Mr. Sayama. Someday. Sayama? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Now he's a, you know, we have to consider him as a pioneer of MMA too. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. you know, he created Shuto. Shuto. Yeah. 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 Very, yeah. Another important person that we have to have, you know, uh, its own episode just on Mr. Sayama. Mm. Mm. Yeah. But about uh, Onita had tour too. He right, toured yeah. Mexico too as a junior heavyweight guy mm-hmm. before he was deathmatch guy. Wow. Yeah. So very interesting. A lot of wrestlers found a place, you know, to wrestle and feel like they could uh, develop and become who they were supposed to be. They could find that in Mexico. Uh, and also, it has a lot to do with this weight division in Mexican right wrestling, too. You have welterweight in wrestling, welterweight, middleweight, the light heavyweight, to cruiserweight, to junior heavyweight, then heavyweight, you know. And so, so smaller guys have chances, you know. There are especially chances for guys. Uh, Grand Hamada is a perfect example because if you ever see him wrestle, especially in his prime, this guy is, uh, is fantastic. Oh, he can move. Yeah, but, like all like they work like gymnasts, huh? But he is the size of Rey Mysterio Jr. And before Rey Mysterio Jr., uh, uh-huh. it just wasn't nobody was going to buy it. It just wasn't right, the time. Right. But um, he was. Oh one of yeah, Rey Oh Rey Then the Rey Mysterio psychosis program went to America. Yep. Because Paul Heyman loved it, right? 
I, I remember and, it clearly. It was so uh, yeah. different. Yeah. And then you saw you had Ray young Ray Mysterio against Psychosis single match at the ECW arena. Just as soon as that matchup got over, WCW came and bought it, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, actually, yeah. I think they had the match in Japan first, right? At the Super J Cup. Uh, 1990. Yeah. Uh, um, for Tenure's company, uh, they had an yeah, exhibition match. The second match. stage, probably. Yes. Yeah. Yes. The second. Oh, there's so many. And guys like you know Negro Kasasu, mm-hmm. who is legend in Mexico and legend in Japan, and he also respected Japanese style. So he brought a lot of Japanese essence, brought back to Mexico too. So there's a mix, you know. Yeah, that the Japanese style element in Mexican ring. Mm. That too. And how, ah. we, we also we probably should talk about the reverse uh, Mexican wrestlers in Japan. I think firstly of Mil Mascaras and Dos Caras, who were huge yeah. stars in Japan. They were a little bit of uh, like a exception because Mil Mascaras and Dos Caras, they were heavyweight That's in right. Mexico. Uh, also, Kanek. Kanek, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, Kanek. Yeah, those three were like a big heavyweight giant guy in Mexico. But if you want to talk about the real, like a like a lighter weight, like air flying luchador, you have to talk about people like El Santo Jr., right? That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think with Mil Mascaras and those cars, I would maybe group them more with, instead of the luchadors, the initial first wave of big foreign wrestler stars like the Destroyer and um, who, right, right, Gene Kaniski, the the original main event type of. Uh, baby faces and heels, they would be included with the Americans and Europeans and whoever else. Yeah, Mel Masker especially. Yeah, he's like American international star. Yeah. The first photos that you know any Japanese fans saw of Mel Maskers, it came from Olympic Auditorium in LA. Oh wow. Instead of like a yeah, like he had this long run in, in LA when Los Angeles had its own local promotion in you know Olympic Auditorium, and it was a big market. And because you're in LA, you have Hispanic population, and Mel Masquez was a huge star. And Mel Masquez is like a ring name, really. Mel is thousand, right? Mm. And Masquez is the guy, the man with mask, the man with one thousand faces or something. Yeah. So it's a male maskers and yeah, it's a character and it's kind of like a superhero. Right. And uh, I think if you really like Mexican style, not just wrestling, but you almost have to be a fan of mask and costume, huh? Yeah, it's more enter- not entertainment element, more. Um... <sighs> but What's again, it's almost another like a cultural anthropology thing because it's Aztec culture mm. in, in Mexico. You're Rudo. Rudo is your rubric here, right? Mm. They are Spanish descent. Right. That the invaders. And then um, baby face, limpio, technical, the, the good guys are, they are uh, as in Aztec culture, you become somebody like a solar, you are you know, like a sun god, or you have fishman, or you have solitario. Everybody represents some character, mm-hmm. like mythology. Me- yeah, yeah, and you, that's the good guy. Mm. And uh, bad guy with without mask usually has Spanish name. They're the conquerors, right? Yeah, so it's a very simple layout, huh? But it's also different from other places. So each each area has their own, like you said, the anthropology, the way it came up. 
Yeah, yeah, but the people, local people can relate to it though.、Mm, that's why it worked. Yeah, remember post war Japanese wrestling? Americans were the heel and Japanese are automatically babyface. Right. Until you had American in the babyfaces. But you have to wait till like 70s. You know, every Ricky Dozen's opponent, even the good guys, they were automatic heels in Japan. Yeah, like I mean, treated for somebody. Yeah, even Lou says it worked subtle heel style.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And the destroyer, yeah, big heel. I mean, mysterious guy, and nobody knows who he is. He would,、um, he will unmask if he loses. They believed it, <laughs> you know. And、uh, yeah, then later on, when when destroyer Dick Byer joined All Japan, Jan Barbers, he turned the biggest ba- American babyface, and he brought the whole family over, and they they came over to Japan and lived in Japan for seven years, and all his kids graduated from Japanese. High school. Oh my gosh! You know, he was a big part of you know our culture in seventies. And he、Dick、was another、Bayer. masked wrestler too, although not from、yeah. Mexico. Right, 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 right.、Uh, American. But yeah, this is, I'm talking about the, the mask and mysterious and character thing、mm. and the gaijin in Japan. Yeah, yeah. So let's go back and talk about Ultimo Dragon because he was one of the yeah. He, not modern. He really but, changed、yes. the landscape. Yes, he's like a, a trailblazer. Yeah, and then he proved it that、uh, well, he's a very special,、mm. very talented, and you know, he yeah, the one of a kind guy. Yeah, very unique. But,、uh, oh god! But he really opened the door for the people who followed him. Yes, somebody out right out of high school wanting to be you know to become professional wrestler, then all the. Uh, probably up to up to like early nineties, there aren't, aren't too many wrestling company in Japan. You have Inoki's New Japan, Baba's All Japan, and a little bit of UWF, you know, shoot style that that you can choose from, like three or four groups until nineties. That it, it was very hard for these kids to become professional wrestler. You cannot pass New Japan audition. You know, there are a whole bunch of guys trying to do the workout, and they only take four guys every year, or something.、Mm. You know, and then hoping to debut one guy every year. Yeah. So, so、uh, Ultimo Drag,、uh, excuse me, Ultimo Dragon broke that、uh, kind of template a little bit. Yeah, he yeah. left, and but had to willing because think about it, he was only like a twenty, twenty-one when he went to Mexico.、Mm-hmm. Then、uh, it's like a, not knowing when to come home or even he could, you know. He went. He moved to Mexico, thinking that、uh, he will he will be living there, you know, and learn the language and make a living and make a career. And he was first, you know, working as you know,、uh, Yoshiro Asai without mask, like a ninja costume.、Mm-hmm. He got over. Then Triple A started, and he was recruited. Then he became Ultimate Dragon. Then、mm-hmm. you know the rest of the story because he needed the mask. It is,、uh, the, the, Asai without mask was fantastic, though.、Mm. But it gave another, you know, chapter of his career when he became Ultimate Dragon. Then Ultimate Dragon is worldwide, huh? Yeah, and he was he was a big star in Mexico as Ultimate Dragon, not、yeah. not as an import or export from、right. Japan. He was a, a kind of triple A cr- right, creation. Right, right, yeah.、Part. He was Japanese, but he was Mexican superstar. He was a triple A wrestler. Just like yeah, heavy metal、yeah. or Conan or whoever else they had. Right, 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 right. Same level. Yeah. So,、mm-hmm. um, the same generation.、Mm-hmm. Like、group of guys. Yeah. 
that are super veteran, probably retired by now, but uh, yes, that's among those groups. And, yes. But he was able to, by that time, he had been wrestling in Mexico for a period long enough. It's probably a four or five years. Yeah. yeah. So he really mastered that style. Plus he combined it with his Japanese training. And in the early nineties, you had a wrestler who was really not like anybody mm-hmm. else doing things that we see every week in wrestling on, on Monday Night Raw. But he was the one of the initial pioneers of what we see, this junior, we could say junior right, style. Junior but, and even smaller than people like Fujinami and Sayama. Yeah. You know? But wrestling yeah. in a, a kind of a big, big match, everything felt big. There were, uh, Asai Munso, we have to talk about that too. I mean, yeah, Asai Munso, that's something, yeah, after. That's something that would yeah. come right out of Mexico, but, but it came yeah. from a Japanese guy. So, right. And they named it too. Mm. So it was good. The, we cannot forget that the fact that there was a one uh, short-lived independent group in Japan. It's called Universal Pro Wrestling. Universal, Pro, they the first group that that did the uh, Mexican, a uh, Japanese style lucha libre. That's right. Asai was on it. Grand Hamada came back and joined. Rookie, rookie Jado Gedo, rookie Super Dolphin, rookie Great uh, Great Sasuke. And rookie Kazuhayashi, it's like, oh, gosh, the rookie Dick Togo. Oh my gosh, there are so many guys that made it later on. Funaki. Yeah, um, who, yeah right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one, two, three Funaki kid, too. right? One, two, three kid came uh, with Jerry Lynn. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, oh yeah, they were like all young, really hungry, like a young talent. They don't, all of them made into, you know, to a stranger somehow. Oh yeah, it was good to witness then. So yeah. th- that was a, maybe the first time that a lot of Japanese fans got a chance to see some sort of Lucha Libre style or a Lucha Libre show. Right. I mean, genuine wrestling, I mean, genuine Lucha Libre in Japan, instead of New Japan bringing in people like a Kinect, you mm-hmm. know, and then one match Lucha Libre, it doesn't really show because Kinect will end up working Japanese style instead. Mm. You will need group of luchador to have a Lucha Libre card. Right. Yeah, yeah, it's like a basic lucha libre is your six man tag team, huh? The trios I mean, six match. Man tag, yeah, trios match. They just so many creative high spots. Looks almost too choreographed for some people, you know, some people's taste, you mm. know. But when it's really good, but, it's pretty mesmerizing. Oh god, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's like uh, nothing like it. Yeah. So there's one other wrestler we should probably talk about from around this time period, for, uh, Great Sasuke, who had, he took all of what uh, kind of Ultimo Dragon was doing, and he seemingly did his own variation of it up north with Michinoku Pro Wrestling. Right. It was the first idea that he had the vision. Not every wrestling has to, uh, not every wrestling company has to come out of Tokyo. Right. He wanted to create his own local territory. Like what they're saying, like they were like, we're going like a, going like an Oregon. It's like, you right. know, territories. What, what are you talking about? It's like, Northern Japan, we, we are going to have territory in seven prefectures. Oh, wow. It's like, I wasn't so sure about it, but they really were able to do so. You know, like everybody worked as a wrestler, but they, they were also setting up the ring and they were doing all the cheers and they were doing their own concession. They were doing taping their own videotapes. And wow, it's like, this is how you run independent company. Oh my gosh, you know, it really helped other independent companies to follow, mm-hmm. you know? And, yeah. And uh, Grace Asuka and Michinoku Pro even offered a different sort of experience where you had the fans sitting on the floor like you had at some venues right, in Mexico. Right. Like the more authentic 
so authentic or or, or unique uh, unique yeah experience. local local yeah and uh, yeah northern japan you know if this uh, our listeners out there where iwate where where michinoku headquarters is at december through march it's all snow you know? It's one of the coldest areas in Japan. <laughs> so December through March, they go elsewhere and run their own house shows too. It's like a very interesting way they are running. They're still running like over 100 shows a year. Mm-hmm. They still do. Well, same not venues. the pandemic, but the, yeah, same venues. And way up in north, you know, that the renting building isn't all that expensive. You know, it's a yeah. more simple way of life up there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they they drive their own ring truck and they drive their own bus. They had their own transportation and then uh, they just they were able to run sufficient independent company full time. That's like almost revolutionary. Very DIY spirit. Yeah, because all Japan Pro Wrestling Giant Baba's company is Channel Four and TV bu- network budget. Antonio Inoki's tele, you know, in New Japan Pro Wrestling TV Asahi Channel Ten's major, you know, the, the network television budget. It's like structured all differently, and we thought wrestling company had to be that way because you you have a budget. But Sasuke pretty much proved it that yeah, no way you can run small wrestling company like this. And succeeded, and a lot of talented people came out of it. Yeah, so many. And actually, Michinoku Pro happened to be one of the uh, companies that a lot of North American fans were introduced to in the '90s, like myself, because of WWF. Oh, really? well, yeah, because of WWF. If if you were living, especially I lived in the Northeast, growing up, I, knew, I grew up in New York. That's right. you know, the headquarters. So in certain areas, especially, so I lived in like, Schenectady, Albany near the capital mm-hmm, and if you mm-hmm. go a little past that it's considered central or western new york and that area that would be all a kind of tbs area so right under that the, you, it was really kind of difficult to get anything but wwf right. so it, well the most people don't know the difference right i don't know I mean, that's the only wrestling sure sure up until right. when tv came about i think things started to information started to spread a lot more quickly but right, right. but there was the time where uh the the great sasuke was brought in and the uh michinoku guys uh they were brought in through well, first was through that ECW. Your, like, uh, VH tape, yeah. vhs video trading uh part of that and partly i mean i remember a couple i think in 97 where we saw sasuke on t he was on one of the pay-per-views um, ah, okay, okay, okay. Uh, Takemichinoku was the face of that. They were trying to relaunch the light heavyweight title. Uh, they brought him in. Oh, and that he... too. Yeah, right. Um, and also, they were brought in for Bay in a barely legal very first yes. ECW pay per view. They had their own match in there, so it was a, literally and inspired the Chikara guys to create their own group, right? Oh yeah, I mean, I remember that match. That was uh, mind blowing, absolutely yeah. mind blowing for me. I mean. Nobody Small, had ever six seen Japanese that. Like, uh, guys doing the Mexican style, mm-hmm. yeah, but doing it perfectly and uh, really innovative and 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 way ahead of uh, what everybody else was doing at the time. It was just mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. for me because there weren't any Avengers movies yet or Batman, and there were those were you know superheroes. If you're if you're at a certain age, you look at like, whoa, what's going on? Especially Sasuke, and they had, it was a, a, a easy, simple storytelling, flashy unique wrestling that uh, a lot of these lucha lucha resu as they sometimes say companies <laughs> kind of offer yeah. offer up yeah 
Yeah. And then the they, Super Delphin kind of did a mirror of what Great Sasuke did, and he took that mm-hmm. idea of indie wrestling and took it and when, yeah, opposite brought the direction. Whole group, his guys to Osaka Pro Wrestling. Where they could yeah. stay all year because the weather is much nicer. And also Osaka, as you know, it's like a rival of Tokyo, you know? Sure, yeah. People in Osaka think Osaka's better. Mm-hmm. They got own culture. Different yeah, attitude. Like different attitude. The language is a little, little bit different, mm-hmm. Osaka Ben. Mm. And uh, yeah, they did that, and uh, they're running their regular show. And they opened up a lot of, you know, um, the, the they opened the door for younger talent who wanted to become wrestler, but not necessarily going to audition for New Japan. You know, yeah, especially wrestlers who didn't want to necessarily do pure pro wrestling, maybe uh, more entertainment. Yeah, or... everybody has little, little things that you want to, things you want to be doing. Mm. And while the uh, Super Dolphin was running Osaka Pro Wrestling. Guys like Zeus, you know, now he's a star with all Japan. Mm-hmm. Zeus, the, the big muscle guy with mm-hmm. tattoo. I'll show you, I'll show you. Yeah. He, he sent his resume to Osaka Pro Wrestling to become rookie. Ah, he was from Osaka, right? Yeah, that's where he yeah, started. Yeah, he's like, how, I asked a whole bunch of guys, how did you find Zeus, right? Mm. I mean, somebody like that. I mean, he was big bodybuilding guy. I mean, when he started, I mean, as a rookie, it's like somebody had, had discovered him. Mm. No, it's just, no, that guy sent sent resume, you know, application. So, wow, he applied, you know? So it was interesting, yeah. He's definitely um, somebody, I don't know how much he was influenced by Lucha Libre style, but he developed into, he's a very successful wrestler right now, one of the mm-hmm. one of the top stars for all Japan. Mm-hmm. Come out of Osaka Pro Wrestling, yeah. And he, he and his, uh, his his buddy, Bodyguard guy, yeah. Yes, yes. Came out together, yeah. Now that you have a whole bunch of Osaka-based guys because of them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like 10 years, 15 years later, they have their own guys locally. Yeah, and um, there's wrestling in Kyushu, you know, like a Fukuoka. Is a then lot of I mean Hiroshima that they developed a lot of local, you know, smaller companies that they kind of patterned after these smaller company, you know, who able to do so. You know, I would say that's also Mexican influence. Yeah, could yeah. you describe the difference in the atmosphere between, say, like a New Japan show at Corken Hall versus one of these more local territory—not territorial, but like you know, Kyushu Pro Wrestling? It's definitely a different feeling. Yeah, different feeling. Yeah, the production's different because when you go to New Japan, it looks like it's, you, you are watching Major League Professional Wrestling. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. You know, they're the only one who run. Tokyo Dome or Budokan or Sumo Palace or uh, the when when New Japan runs Korakuen, it's their like house show, you know, right. like a, they run like a f- four or five Korakuen with nothing special in it, you know, like a regular house show. Mm. Whereas when the smaller company runs Korakuen, that's their biggest event. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's different. Rings different, lighting's different, music's different, styles different. You know, they run differently, but yeah. There's a, uh, I I I uh, I enjoy smaller company running Korakuen Hall as their very precious special event, mm-hmm. and you can feel it. You know, Michinoku Pro still they they still oh uh, twice a year, yep. June and June and December every year. Yeah, yeah, they run special card. Yeah, um, 
guess. Uh, anyway. But that's just like, 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 we are talking like 60s, 70s, 80s, and all the way to millennium. To, and now that's like, we, we talked about things that are like a 50 year span. So I hope people follow this. You know? Okay. So how about this? Because we covered so much. And we <laughs> still. Head, I'm sorry. No, no. And we still have. We have to talk about the modern generation. But we're going to do that on the next episode. So we'll, next time what we'll do is we'll start off talking more about when Ultimo Dragon in the 90s, he he started his own dojo. Yeah, in, in Mexico. Mexico. Toriumon, yeah. And, in Mexico. Guadalajara. Oh, no. Uh, no, not the Guadalajara. But, uh, yeah, but I'll, 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 it'll come back. Next time, but, yeah. Uh, he opened the, the whole dojo system. And a bunch of guys, like 50 guys signed and started training and lived there, and then debuted there, mm-hmm. then come back. Like Sima, yeah. Sima or... Or, or the Sumo Fuji. Sumo you know? Fuji, yeah, Don Fuji. Yeah, and Naruki Doi. Yeah, all those guys. Um, a lot are still wrestling. They became Dragon Dragon Gate, you know. They, right. you know, became, you know it's, yeah, they became their own independent. Now, 20 years later, Ultimo Dragon... Jo- rejoined Dragon Gate again last year. That's right. Yeah. 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 So this history shows. Yeah. He trained Okada. He trained uh, Ishimori. Sure. A lot of uh, guys we see in New Japan, they came from, uh, they're under. Yeah. Katsuchika Okada went to Mex- Mexico when he was like a 16. Yeah. Yeah. He was a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So and a lot of the same, I mean, like a trainee guys, they, they all remember him being a youngest guy in that building, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So next time we'll focus on the '90s area of lucha libre in Japanese pro okay. wrestling, which I think okay. a lot of uh, listeners are going to be extra yeah, interested in. Because Mexican wrestlers start traveling to different places too. A lot of lot of the Mexican stars went to WCW, you mm-hmm. know, and some of the some of the Mexican stars you know, made it to WWE, you know, and a uh, lot of them came to Japan. And then a lot of Japanese wrestlers went to Mexico, that too. So there's a strong strong connection there. And not just connection, but it, is a, it, it affects the in-ring contents too. And uh, especially yeah. as a, the more it goes on, the more, uh, not the deeper the, yeah, the deeper the influence it is. I mean, if you watch a lot of modern wrestling, even New Japan or All Japan or Dragon Gate, you always see a lucha influence in almost every match. Female, male. Yeah. Hiroshi Tanahashi's finish. High fly floor. Sure. sure. And he's a heavyweight wrestler. Uh, Naito. Yeah. But- uh, Naito, oh, he's like a, he's like a lucha I luchador. Yeah, I can see it. It's so many complicated moves that how do you do it, right? Mm. Yeah. So yeah, very much so. So it's I would say somebody like Naito or Hiromu Takahashi is a great representation of how far it's mm, come. Yes, yes, yeah. It's it's in the mainstream, and the guys like Gato and Jado who who are what we were talking about today. We could talk about them more next time, but. Those mm-hmm. uh, those renegades, I guess you call them. They uh, just, they went on their own and they they did it DIY style. Yeah, but later on he came back came back to Japan and joined a major company too. So there must be yeah. a lot that they learned there. So hopefully we can. And he became more of a you know Jado and Gedo became more of a producer type. Mm. Like they are your Paul Heyman, you know, or Sean, uh, that uh, Shane Douglas or you know Raven style. Yeah, right. I mean wrestler, but you know. So, yeah. so we'll come back next time 
with the more of a, a modern take on what we're talking about today. So if you have questions, let us know. Fumizan, what is your kind of contact if people want to ask you questions online? Okay, on Twitter, Fumihikodayo, F-U-M-I-H-I-K-O-D-A-Y-O, Fumihikodayo on Twitter, or you can find me, Fumisaito, on Facebook. Message me. And on Twitter, I'm at Justin M. Nipper, K-N-I-P-P-E-R. Hit us up there. Hit us up on the Fight Game Media Patreon. Yeah, I'd like to take questions, yes. Yeah. So uh, I guess until next week. So long from Tokyo. Write that, write that down, write that, write that down, write that down, write that down, write that down. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each, then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.